Welcome to Beyond the Board, a podcast that explores the themes and real-life inspirations behind our favorite games. On today's episode of Beyond the Board, we'll be discussing the game Santorini. Santorini is a strategy board game designed by Dr. Gordon Hamilton, aka Dr. Pickle, and published by Roxley Games in 2017. Santorini is for two to four players, and a typical game takes 20 minutes to play. Enjoy the episode! Hey everybody and welcome to the podcast. I'm Mike Greenman. I'm Spencer Campbell. And this is Beyond the Board. Hey Mike, I got a quick question for you. Oh, sure. <laughs> Who is your favorite Greek god? My favorite Greek god, you mean besides Aphrodite, the goddess of love? She's a cutie. Mm-hmm. Um, Dionysus. The, the goddess of the, fertility the, and wine. wine yeah, and our god of like fertility. A, he's a party guy. Oh yeah, so. he's a big, big guy in a toga. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the party guy. I just remember him always being drunk in any kind of uh, cartoon I watched. Any story. (laughs) Any story. I just thought it was funny. He's a good one. That's a good choice. Uh, That or the water gods. Poseidon and whatnot. Yeah. Just because. You're a fan of the sea. Mm -hmm. Fan of the sea and merpeople. What about you? Um, It's a tough call. I'd probably have to say Hermes, though. Hermes. He's the, the small, little, fast, quick guy. He's got the, the winged shoes, a messenger god of sorts. He's a messenger for the gods. Exactly. Oh. And I really enjoyed his portrayal in Disney's classic cartoon movie, Hercules. Ah, classic. <laughs> I actually haven't seen that in a long time, but I think it's on Amazon I, or something. And I, I think I watch it at least twice a year. Wow. Okay. <laughs> love that. All right. Absolutely love it. Well, maybe we'll have a, a viewing party. <laughs> so today we're talking about Santorini and not the city. Just the city. We're talking about the game Santorini. That's right. Uh, uh, Roxley Games indie darling Santorini just came out probably a month and a half month ago and a half by the time this comes out. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's a really, really pretty game. The art's beautiful. They got all these little chibi kind of um, characters in it. Chibi meaning like small little bodies and big heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, uh, it's really, really pretty. Uh, lots of colors. A little overproduced, I think. <laughs> So when you imagine the game, imagine a a square like water board that you put on, and then on top of that is an actual like three D island, and on on that island it's a grid system. And you were using this grid to build a city. We're building the city of Santorini more or less. You have a little team of construction workers that you're moving around the grid. They they have togas on. They look very Greek, uh, and they move. The whole point of the game is to Move your players or move your little construction workers around the grid, assembling ever-growing towers in this this city. Yeah, the object of the game is to get to the top of your tower. I'm assuming to say hi to the gods. It doesn't really clarify, but you're you're basically trying to get there before your opponent. So as you move, you place down different pieces of your city, and while doing that, you can block the opponent. And if, and if you don't know what Santorini is and and to get an image in your head Santorini is that famous Greek city that you see with all the white kind of square buildings with the blue domes on top so it's very white and blue it's a very distinct it's very style distinct, of architecture yeah. yeah you'd recognize it if you saw it I'm assuming uh, but it's uh it's it's a fun game it's it's very chess like to where you're really kind of planning out three moves ahead and figuring out okay well what are they gonna do? in the game to try to block them and get to the top before they do. Yeah, we we actually just played around before this, and you had managed to basically trap 
my workers in two different instances where they were trapped in a, in a wall of towers, and mm-hmm. ultimately you were able to ascend I to put, the top. I put them in the slums. Yeah. <laughs> you designated me to the corners of the board <laughs> and got to have your way with the middle of the board. Uh, what's also neat about this game is not just this little very simple strategy aspect, but uh, but there's a lot to go into it. The other thing is that you can be different gods, and they have so many different gods that you can be, and each god has a special power. There's there's a bunch of basic ones and more advanced ones that affect different ways, but uh, basic things like you can move anywhere on the board as long as it's the same level, uh, depending on what what god you are. And I think that's actually Hermes, mm-hmm. is you can go, basically he's just super fast and he can go right. anywhere. Uh, and then there's other powers that like block the opponent from moving up a level, if you've moved up a level, there's just a bunch of different uh, god powers that you can use and affects the game every single time you play, which is really cool. Yeah, and it's the the sort of cast of characters that you would expect from a, a game that's inspired largely by Greek mythology. So you have your Zeus, your Poseidon, your Hermes, but it even has some of the more mythological creatures. I think like the Minotaur is a mm-hmm. character in there. and Prometheus. Prome- yeah, exactly. And, um, uh, not so much a Greek god, but the... But uh, Charon, the ferry boatman yeah. in the underworld, not a god, but he's still a character, and he can actually jump over pieces. It's like he's crossing them as a river. Yeah, he's, yeah exactly. So him. instead of moving just one space, you can actually jump mm-hmm. a person, which is uh, pretty neat. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a really, really neat game. Definitely you'll get better over time because you'll realize what strategies you can use, mm-hmm. but it also changes up every time you play. Because you're using a different Greek god. And, and it's a pretty fast, like, you got the game as soon as I described the rules, like, yeah. right away. Yeah. So it's a it's really fast learn, really easy game to play. It's pretty. It looks nice when you're playing it. it mm-hmm. It's very satisfying to see the, the each tile builds nicely on top of one another. And it has absolutely that distinct architecture of Santorini and that area of the Aegean Sea. So uh, it's a fun game. Yeah. And so with the the theme of Santorini, I feel like it was only appropriate that we talked about Santorini, the actual Greek city. So Santorini is, well, it's known as a couple other things. I think officially it's known as Thera or Thera. And Santorini itself is actually part of, it's an island, part of a a set of islands, an archipelago, which an archipelago being a chain of islands, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it's a small group of islands in the Aegean Sea, just a little southeast of mainland Greece, which is why we're getting the Greek gods and everything mixed into all of this. It actually got its name from Saint Irene uh, in the 13th century, and it's basically just kind of an amalgamation of Saint Irene, like they just compounded those two <laughs> in together to make Santorini more or less. Palindrome City. <laughs> and, well, not a palindrome. Palindrome's the... Same thing for uh, backwards. Portmanteau. Portmanteau. That's what exactly. I meant. <laughs> palindrome. <laughs> Santorini's a palindrome? I mean, no, not a, it's Eni Rutz Nad. <laughs> the, the official name was adopted in like the 19th century as Thera. And then from there on out, it's basically just a small group of islands that are... that Santorini is kind of just the name that most people call it at this point in time, even though it's not the official name anymore. It's culturally so ingrained in everyone that that's pretty much what we it's used these days. Santorini uh, it's it's a pretty close-knit city and it's just stacked on top of each other. 
so there aren't any rivers or anything because it is an island. It's just surrounded by water. So uh, water is act like fresh water can be a problem in Santorini. So they have um, like desalination uh, plants mm-hmm. that actually help out with the water. Uh, <clears throat> and um, the plant life and vegetables are pretty unique to the island chain. Um, because of the way they were created by the massive eruption and the massive volcano that uh, have created these islands. Yeah, we'll get a little bit into that whole geological transformation a little bit here, but yeah, that's right. The The ecology of the area is just absolutely transformed from what it once was. Mm-hmm. It's very different now. It's always interesting when you think about that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, you just think about, like, uh, Australia itself, like how mm-hmm. different things are there than anywhere else mm-hmm. in the world, and how just just being on an island can change those. Sure, things. absolutely. Deep thoughts from Mike Riemann. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and like you said, Santorini has this this distinct architecture style. It's similar to the other islands that are in the archipelago or in the the Aegean Sea area. It's these kind of low lying or stacked on top of each other cubicle structures. So they are they look like little cubes or squares that are kind of just built on top of one another. Uh, they're whitewashed, and then they, they have that, that distinct blue dye that kind of goes alongside of it. And a lot of them have, like, flat roofs. Uh, and actually, when you're building the game, you, you can put the little blue domes on top of a taller piece, but you can also have these flat roofs. And a lot of the times, they'll use those as passageways in between mm-hmm. um, uh, houses and, and just even just balconies sure. um, to look out on the beautiful Aegean Sea. One other thing I, I saw when I was looking around the architecture of this is a room called uh, Hipposcopha, I believe. is uh, well, I'm, I'm not sure if that's right or not. Uh, Sounds but about right. Basically, because <laughs> of the, the volcanic activity in the area, there's a great deal of pumice stone on the island. And so they, they'll either dig sideways into, the, into a hill of pumice or they'll dig down into it. And they'll make rooms in the pumice and... The, due to the kind of the properties of pumice, these rooms will actually stay very cool during the summer, and then they'll actually stay warm during the winter. So they're these kind of coveted rooms that you might want to have in a house That's uh, so in order cool. to, to handle all of the climates. That's so neat. Also, uh, if your feet ever get uh, callous on them, you can just... You just walk around. Scrape, <laughs> scrape your feet on the ground. Exactly. Which probably happens a lot in Santorini. I mean, imagine. They were walking around in sandals all the time. <laughs> So how did how did we get to where we are right now? That's that's modern Santorini. Mm-hmm. Modern Santorini generally is run by or, uh, their their main source of cash is tourism. By yeah. the way, yeah. Also, that, because it's just such a beautiful place to go. But sorry, yeah, I think I think it's considered one of the most like beautiful island like destinations that one could go to during travel and as you also might imagine as your your boy Dionysus would be happy to hear it's a it's a wine producing country or not country a wine producing island as well because it is part of Greece so it's not its own separate country he's looking out for them right now (laughs) he is (laughs) but how did Santorini kind of become to be what it is this this island state and it's it's actually gone through millions of years of volcanic evolution essentially so there's an island right there in the kind of right next to where the Santorini Island is. Uh, there's a volcano under under the water, and it's gone through cycles of erupting and then sinking down and creating what's called a caldera. And a caldera is essentially the the ring of land that's left behind when a volcano will explode and then sink down into the earth. 
the, the, it's essentially, it makes like a ring of islands or a ring mm-hmm. of mountains, and that's the caldera. And this volcano would just erupt and then sink back down and fill up and then erupt and sink and sink and uh, erupt and go over and over again, creating this caldera. And eventually it made a sort of a ring of an island. And that seemed like a pretty neat place for some people to live. <laughs> Specifically, the Minoan uh, people. And, uh, and they, it was a civilization that they discovered long, long ago by doing uh, a lot of archaeological digs. Mm-hmm. And they were a pretty advanced civilization from, from what they could figure out. So advanced that this civilization had plumbing uh, system for their city. And it wasn't like a, like a huge city. It was more like a, like a port. If yeah, anything. like a, a major town that was probably pretty important to them mm-hmm. in terms of an expansion part of their... Because they, they came from Crete, the island of Crete, uh, just to the south of that, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It's something more akin to like a, a big town that's on the rise. Yeah, and they found uh, they found a pipe system, and they realized it was two pipe systems. So they must have had cold water and hot water, which they assume they got from the volcanic, um, like the natural uh, heat springs. Which was, I mean, it's just fascinating to think about that that they were able to pump in hot water and cold water into a city that long ago it's it kind of blows my mind it's in, to put it into context the time period that we're talking about here is about fi- 1500 bce so a long time ago we're talking about a, a place that had indoor plumbing of a sorts they had they had the equivalent of water closets <laughs> and uh, moving water this this town had industry of a sorts they during the excavations they found textile working machinery and roads and walls and you know artwork on the walls these you know these beautiful paintings and these paintings for the most part were of work they were of kind of more of the earth labor tasks people working about it wasn't laden with a pantheon of gods but instead maybe alluded to a goddess but largely kind of seemed more connected to the fellow the fellow man and what what one might do, you know, picking fruit or, you know, vegetables and whatnot. I, I feel like any time a civilization has gotten to a point that they've they've become like, gotten so advanced either in culture or in technology, they always seem to get wiped out. And yeah. it just makes me wonder when when we're due? Yeah, well, when we're due. Out in out in Yellowstone we got that big Super volcano that's just waiting to erupt at any mm-hmm. point now. Um, Goodbye, Portland. So yeah, you uh, you you prefaced what happened to the Minoan people. So this was an, a, a settlement, not the main civilization or you know place of living of the of this particular group. And approximately fifteen hundred BCE. This volcano that had been erupting and then cooling, creating the caldera where this this large island had been once been erupted in a really really big way. Uh, they I looked this there the volcanic explosivity index, which is essentially like a scale of how devastating a volcano is, and it there's a whole host of factors. Is it like the earthquake kind like of like a Richter scale, a Richter sort of scale, thing. yeah. And this is. 
uh, a whole host of factors go into this, including things like how much debris was thrown up into the atmosphere uh. and everything. This is a scale that goes up to eight. Oh, God. And the index of this event, depending on who you're talking to, is anywhere between six and seven. So in terms of the, the, the massive impact that something like this would have, uh, it's considered one of the, the top four eruptions alone in terms of how much debris was thrown up into the air. So just, This is an underwater volcano. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then just boom, it... It exploded, more or less. I mean, just to give you an idea, like, because, I mean, you think about a volcano on the surface exploding. Right. But this one was able to push through all that water. And throw up all of that stuff into uh. the air. And what, what had once been a relatively contained and continuous ring of an island, you know, the caldera that had been built over time, was now just shattered. And it had been turned now into a series of smaller islands that are that are no longer connected and the explosion for the Minoans who were there they were essentially entombed instantly mm-hmm. uh, you know similar to Pompeii, Pompeii where they find like the bodies encased just holding their children basically right imagine more or less the same thing but in you know the bronze age now and the city was it's actually interesting because we we do the excavations now, and it actually has a relatively preserved state given the fact that it was right next to this explosive event. And the Minoan settlement that was on what we call Santorini nowadays, completely entombed, and then there was more fallout afterwards. <laughs> all, all the ash that flew up into the air, you know, affecting the nearby regions mm-hmm. in terms of their ability to produce crops... There's a tsunami. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, any volcano underwater pretty much erupting is going to create a tsunami, but it just it devastated Crete, which, yeah. I mean, didn't destroy it, but, yeah. Where the rest of the Minoans were all <laughs> on Crete, and then suddenly there's this this huge tsunami that comes, and any of their sort of northern coastal settlements are also getting it wiped out as a result of this. So the Minoans took a huge hit from this particular event, mm-hmm. especially given the fact that they traveled so much by sea. Their whole ability to expand and trade was based off of boats and whatnot. Mm-hmm. This is all getting wiped out in the in the event of this explosion. Mm-hmm. And and to drive home their belief in the gods, this was a an event that really kind of solidified what the gods could do mm-hmm. to them. They were thinking we must have done something real bad. Sure. For something this cataclysmic to wipe out basically their entire civilization out in that uh, in that area. And it's interesting because, yeah, we've done a great amount of excavation in the area. Like you alluded to, these ideas of these pipes that have been found mm-hmm. and all the, the industry and the, the establishment of this relatively civilized settlement. The volcanic eruption wiping that out and then now has been started to be linked to other events that might have been going on around the same time in, in that time period of, of, our, of our planet here. The first one I saw, and this is, I should pre- preface this by saying, this is purely correlational, <laughs> meaning they happen at the same time, but there's no causal connection necessarily between them. It's actually in the shifting of the dynasties that were in control in China at the time. Uh, there is a... Because the Chinese were fantastic at keeping records. Mm-hmm. And so everyone else largely doesn't have very good written records of what was going on, even down in Egypt, because of 
we'll get to it, but the chaos that yeah. was going on down there. But the Chinese kept great records, and there was kind of the, the fall of the Shia dynasty and the rise of the Shang dynasty, and there's this these records that say, that describe like a change in the coloring of the atmosphere and kind of the, the ecology of the area, which might be linked purely in terms of a timeline situation with the same, around the same time that the Minoan eruption occurred. Mm-hmm. And in Egypt, uh, the same, they're, they have, it, they seem like it's a little off in the timeline, but generally they say that these terrible apocalyptic kind of storms were happening in Egypt uh, but like I said, it, it, the events were a little bit off from the Minoan eruption. But a lot of people think that it's it leads to the stories of the plagues in Egypt uh, that you might know from uh, Moses and that thing called the Bible. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's an interesting and it's a, it's a as you might imagine a constantly ongoing debate sure. between the link between the Minoan eruption and a possible connection to Exodus and everything that was involved in that whole process. Yeah, but it kind of makes you wonder, uh, I I, I didn't look it up, but what meteorologists have probably tried to figure out Mm -hmm. what was going on at that time period. Was there there something coming in through the atmosphere that was affecting a bunch of storms everywhere? Did we have a thinner ozone layer that maybe was messing with the weather a lot? Well, yeah, and we know that because of an event like this eruption, anything in the surrounding area was devastated in terms of ability to produce crops and everything like that. Like this this is going to cause not just the destruction of the people in the immediate area, but it has lasting impact on a huge cuz remember this is one of the top 4 in terms of debris being thrown up into yeah. the atmosphere. So there's absolutely a possibility that this is connected to some problems that happened down in Egypt. Mm-hmm. It's just a it's a problem of figuring out the exact timing of the Minoan eruption and because Egypt was in such chaos at the time, they didn't really have a good chance of keeping very good records of what was going on historically. Yeah, I mean, they were probably, they were just thinking about that area. They weren't looking around being like, well, what could have been affecting right. us? Yeah. Uh, but there's also a link to um, this and Atlantis. That's right. Which is supposedly, Atlantis, if you didn't know, was this lost civilization that sunk into the sea, but it was advanced beyond its years uh, as far as technology and culture and was supposed to be this um, this amazing civilization, but proposed was... by Plato. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> it was supposed to be this lost civilization that that got sunk into the sea, and and everyone's always trying to look for it. However, Plato basically made the whole thing up, right? And everyone was like, "Well, it could be real." <laughs> And then it became this legend of this lost civilization. The, the 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 message of his allegory is a little bit lost on a lot of people who are hoping that there is some sort of strange underground or underwater civilization. When instead he was trying to impart upon the importance of a hu- the hubris of a nation. If it go if it tries to get too big, a, a sort of Icarus effect. You know, the boy who flew too close to the sun, sort of thing. And. Yeah, that, that message is totally missed because you're right. Everyone just wants to find Atlantis now. They, they want they want that. What was it? I don't think it was Disney, but that one Atlantis movie. Do you remember that? Oh that yeah, cartoon yeah, sure. Where he goes and they have like technology with floating cars and right. all this other thing. And you know there there is a potential link to Santorini in terms of having excavated a little bit. It seems like geographically and geologically, it seems to have a relation or a, a similarity to what Plato had been describing when he was describing Atlantis. Well, some people think that they they did, or he used that as a basis, as a basis for 
describing Atlantis and then just called it Atlantis. Right. Yeah. So we have this devastating volcanic eruption. It yeah. wipes out the Minoans Never forget. in the area. And then it takes a little while before people decide to move back <laughs> in where something like that it's happens. Coast, it's the coast clear? Yeah. Literally. Because it's, it's about 600 years before the Greeks decided to come in and start inhabiting the area. Mm-hmm. So around the 9th century BCE is when you're starting to see the, the Greeks sail in and be like, oh, this seems like a pretty, pretty neat area. And they actually had an interesting myth origin for it that mm-hmm. I, I think you looked up. It's a pretty interesting story. Yeah, so Jason, uh, from Jason and the Argonauts, he had a companion that was in his little group um, called Euphemus. And Euphemus was the son of the god Poseidon, according to some Greek legend. But I feel like they get a little mumbled. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, they... They landed on a small island in the Aegean Sea called Anaphi, and Euphemus saw that in in a dream he was making love to a nymph, the daughter of the sea god Triton, who in Greek mythology is also the son of Poseidon, so basically his niece in a weird way. There's a lot of that. Yeah, anyway. (laughs) So anyway, he makes love to this nymph in his dream, and after making love, uh, she told him that she got pregnant, and that Triton would be really angry if he found out, and that she needed a place to hide. So she told him in the dream to take a piece of dirt and throw it in the ocean, or in the Aegean Sea. And he woke up, realizing it was a dream, and then decided to do just that. And from that, uh, the the ground came up and created this uh, this island, which they've actually settled Santorini on. Right. So, well, they called it Thera, though. Right. Yes. Because uh, I don't remember who exactly. It, they weren't honoring Hera, but there was some goddess, I believe, or god that they were honoring with that name. Yeah, well, the, it was named after uh, Callisti. Okay. Yeah, uh, which uh, which means most beautiful. Oh. Um, yeah. Uh, and and the sun actually was born there. found out that the, the myth goes that the sun was actually born and that he did impregnate this nymph. Hmm. And the, they named the sun Theris, and that's where they got the name Thera from. Gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, the Greeks, they came in, they colonized it after it had cooled down a little bit <laughs> and they felt like it was safe. They, of course, created a story as is tradition as pretty much all the Greek holdings then passed on to the Roman Empire mm-hmm. after the, uh, that that empire kind of took to the rise. And then from the Romans, Santorini was passed on to the Byzantine Empire. And from the Byzantine Empire, it was then passed on to the Ottoman Empire. So just <laughs> this island is kind of getting passed along here from one empire to another, more or less. They're, they're just, what they're doing is they're just keeping everything in check so they don't get to advance. Sure. But the problem now is that it's peaceful. Exactly. <laughs> and eventually Santorini gained its independence from the Ottoman Empire in 1821. There was a, a war, the Greek War of Independence. It was actually pretty interesting. A lot of European nations basically banded together to help the Greeks break away and become independent of the Ottoman Empire, which was then calling upon its allies in the Middle East and Northern Africa. Mm. And Eventually, they were victorious, and Santorini, you know, kind of gelled back in and joined up with Greece in 1830, and it's been a part of Greece as a country ever since. Uh, yeah, they uh, and they're they're doing pretty well for themselves. 
yeah, nowadays it's just a, it's an absolutely beautiful, gorgeous tourist destination. Go yeah. drink some wine, check out this really cool architecture, the sort of architecture that you can build in the game Santorini. <laughs> there, there is a, there, they are talking about that the volcano underneath is going to erupt again. It's not like a dormant underwater volcano. Mm. It's going to happen again. And it's just only a matter of time. Is it due? Yeah, oh. I, I from what I understand, it's due, and it's like it's it's gonna happen again. So sure. it's kind of scary uh, that probably it, sometime this beautiful city that you build in this game that's for real in real life uh, is going to be destroyed. <laughs> but it's it's a, it's a it's a fascinating island. It has a it's so interesting to see the the history of even just a small place like this just absolutely transformed over. A, a few millennia, essentially. Uh, it really, it, has, it held a lot of interesting cultures, a lot of technological and cultural importance to a lot of different people, and now we encapsulate it here in this tower-building <laughs> game of Santorini. Uh, that's all I've got, though. Do you have anything no, else, Mike? No, I don't have anything else. If you get a chance, definitely go out and uh, check out this game. It's, um, I think it's fairly inexpensive, um, but it's, it's worth like it, 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 whatever money you pay for. It's worth it as far as the the effort they put into creating the game, mm-hmm. um, as far as all the different god cards that you can do. And I feel like that's where they probably spent the most time designing it. But uh, but it's just really pretty, and it's really pretty when you actually just build everything. Yeah. I feel like oh, I actually made a little city. It's actually kind of it's a it's an interesting story with it because it was produced at a, a very basic level a long time ago. Actually, it was this this. Dr. Gordon Hamilton's, uh, like, you can even see old prototypes of it from, like, a decade ago. Oh, really? And now seeing it, him having the ability to, to create, like, a final product of it, it's pretty cool. So congratulations on Dr. Gordon Hamilton and the team at Roxley for putting together a nice pretty job, fun game. Dr. Pickle. Dr. Pickle. Uh, well, thanks for listening. Uh, if you like this or if you want to send us tickets to Santorini, because we'd like to go, that'd be fun. Yeah, you, can, can. <laughs> you can email us at uh, beyondtheboardpodcast at gmail.com. Or email us your favorite Greek god. Ooh, actually, that sounds great. And do send us emails. We like emails. We'd love to have an email segment. Oh, that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we get enough. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at, uh, at goingbtb. BTB for Bacchus uh, uh, and Bacchanal. Uh-huh. Got there. <laughs> so get out there and get building. <laughs>